Thanks. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to be here with you. Um, if you don't know me, uh, let me introduce myself. Uh, I'm Roger. I'm married to Sarah. We live up in forest fields. Um, but I actually grew up in Devon, down in sunny Torquay. You might not have known that. Um, but my close family uh, now also live in Nottingham as well. And I wonder, what comes to mind for you when I say that word, family? Well, my perspective on this was changed and, and shaped somewhat last weekend because we had our family reunion. Uh, the last family re reunion we'd had was 20 years ago. Um, so we had about 45 people on my dad's side of the family all coming together at my parents' place just in West Bridgeford. And here I was, surrounded by all of these family members who I didn't know, who I'd never met before. Uh, people had flown in from America, my aunt had flown in uh, from, the, uh, from Australia, and so we had this wonderful gathering together. And someone had printed out this big family tree which showed how we were all linked to one another. And we saw that we all had this common ancestry in my great-grandparents, Claude and Elsie, so wonderful Victorian names there. Um, so all these people who I was related to, we all had this shared parentage of my great-grandparents, Claude and Elsie. And I was surrounded by all these second cousins who I didn't know, who maybe I'd never met, but we had this wonderful common bond of somehow being family to one another. Well, that's a bit like us here this morning. As JP mentioned in his introductory talk to this Radical Welcome series, it isn't just that the church is a bit like a family. There's a theological truth that we are now an actual family in Christ. Have a look around. Look at your brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning. They might not look like you. <laughs> Some of you look like you need a bit of convincing. How can this be the case? <laughs> well, just like my family with Claude and Elsie, we all here have a shared parentage in God our Father. It's what we started our worship time with this morning, isn't it? How do we pray? We pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then we were singing that great song, You're a good, good father. We're told that God is a father to the fatherless. How wonderful. So God is our father, but more than that, it, it tells us in Hebrews that Christ Jesus is our brother. Christ is our big brother. It talks about how he wasn't ashamed to come in human form, in uh, flesh, so that he could identify with what we go through. It tells, tells us that he was uh, tempted in every way as we, as we are, yet without sin. <clears throat> so if God is our father and Christ is our brother then we are now family with the worldwide family, uh, the worldwide church, everyone who believes in God. And we find our nuclear family here at Grace Church. We're not a friendship group, but we're a family. And it's this family bond that is a key motivation for us in welcoming one another, which is what we're going to be exploring this morning. Perhaps it's your first time here with us at Grace Church. Well, I hope you already have a real sense that you are so welcome. We're so pleased that you're here. My personal experience of coming to Grace Church for the first time uh, was about nine years ago. I had moved to Nottingham from sunny Torquay, as I said, uh, to study music. And I came in the door of this building 
only knowing the guy who brought me, who I'd met the day before. Uh, that guy was actually Sam Young, who many of you will know is now uh, over in Birmingham with King's Church. And I was amazed as I came in this door that people wanted to know my name. They wanted to get to know me. After the meeting, they wanted to see how I'd found it. And then I was invited back to have lunch with a family in the church. Thank you, Stephen Kelly Burns. <laughs> Remember that meal? Even more impactful than that first week was that when I came back a couple of weeks later, one of those who I'd previously met remembered my name, remembered me, wanted to know how university was going for me, and then later invited me to meet up uh, with him for coffee. That was actually Duncan, who's uh, started Revelation Church up in Manchester, no doubt carrying that same ethos of, of welcome with him up there. So this experience for me of finding church that felt like a home was a big reason why I stayed and became part of this family. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was something like your experience too. It's something that we're pretty good at as a church. We've got something of a reputation for it. We welcome is one of our 10 cultural values, as you may know. It's, it's there, embedded into our ethos, what we think is important as a church. But it's so important that we can't take it for granted. And I really believe that there is more growth for us in this area of welcoming one another. So we're going to look this morning at a Bible passage that's so instructive for us in how to actually go about doing this, how we go about welcoming one another. So if you do have a Bible with you, or perhaps a phone, and then turn with me to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to be starting at verse 9. If not, don't worry, the words will come up on the screen behind me. To give you some context of where we're jumping into here, uh, Romans was originally a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and it includes this dense theological treatise of what Jesus came to do in his time on earth, but then it goes on to giving practical instructions to the church, to these followers of Jesus, in how they should live. Uh, and that's the bit that we're jumping into here this morning. So, chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Amen. So what you've just experienced is something very similar to what those Roman Christians uh, 2,000 years ago would have experienced in first hearing these words. Part of a gathering of believers someone reading out this letter that Paul had written to them. Paul, this man who they probably hadn't met. And this passage is just as relevant and applicable for us today as it was for those original hearers of the letter. It is God's words to us this morning. And the passage hinges on that phrase in verse 10. I don't know if you caught it. It says, love one another with brotherly affection. 
you probably know that Paul didn't actually write those words in English to the church in Rome. He originally wrote it, wrote the letter in Greek. Now, I don't actually read New Testament Greek myself, but thankfully uh, our resident bassist and theologian Johnny does. So that's really helpful. I got to spend a bit of time with him a couple of weeks ago to look through this. And I learned that that phrase is actually quite unusual in the, in the original language. That's one of the reasons why your translation, if, if it wasn't uh, the same as the ESV that I read from, might have it worded a little bit differently. And the key word in that phrase is... Philadelphia. And apparently that's nothing to do with the American city or to do with soft cheese. <laughs> it's made up of two parts. Phil comes from love, and Adelphi comes from brothers and sisters, siblings. So this phrase is telling us about a kind of siblingly love, a Philadelphia. Not talking about cheese, let's get that straight. It's saying that we should love one another like family. And I should say at this point that not all of us have had a great experience or example of love from our own families. I'm sure that many of us come in here this morning with past or ongoing hurt in this area. And even the best human families are far from perfect in the area of showing love to one another. You also might be thinking, if you're an only child, that you don't have a frame of reference in your own family for this siblingly love. Um, but our definition of, um, of what this siblingly love is about shouldn't come from our experience of human family. It should come from what the Bible tells us about how to love one another as church family. So for this talk, I'm going to use a bit of shorthand. Instead of saying, love one another with brotherly affection every time, I'm going to use the phrase church love. And church love points us back to this phrase and is a point of reference for us in what we are to do as part of our being family together. So what, what do I mean by church love? Well, I don't mean anything to do with this building. This building isn't the church. We are the church. The people, all of us brothers and sisters here this morning, we are the church, and we want to demonstrate church love to one another. But what does that actually look like? What does church love look like? Well, firstly, it is authentic. In verse 9, it says, let love be genuine. And we probably all know that feeling when someone is being nice to us just because they're obliged to or because they're contractually bound to do so. You know, you might go for a meal at the harvester. You walk in, you're warmly greeted by the guy at the front. He shows you to your table, please take a seat. But then for the rest of your meal there, it feels like your physical presence in the restaurant is just an inconvenience to the waiters. <laughs> or maybe you ring the helpline because, well, you know, you need help. But the guy on the other end is just doing customer service to you. Uh, it might be very friendly, it might be warm, but you don't actually get the help that you need from this helpline. Well, let that not be how we are as a church. There's such a difference, isn't there, when someone is genuinely engaged with us, someone is looking us in the eye, motivated by love in their actions towards us. Our aim as a church should be to actually welcome one another, not just to give the impression that others are welcome. 
And this authentic welcome involves welcoming others into your space. When you put your shoes, put yourself in the shoes, <laughs> put yourself in the shoes of someone who's coming into this building for the first time. I think it could be quite intimidating to have people coming up to you who you don't know and jumping straight in there with all the questions. You know, what's your name? What do you do? Is it your first time here? Do you want to come with me on Thursday to home group? I've definitely been guilty of having a, something of a, an attitude like that myself. But we need to slow down. We need to read the conversation, make sure it's two-way. And in doing that, we need to open up something of our own lives to other people. To love authentically has got to be a giving of something ourselves to the other person. Wouldn't it be amazing if we were all genuinely excited on a Sunday to meet people who we don't yet know? Not seeing it as our obligation to say hello, but as our joy. If you struggle with this and you find yourself hoping to get through a Sunday morning without having to engage with anyone new, then I get it. I think it's human instinct in many ways to stick with those who we know, to stick with our in-group, to have comfortable conversations, to avoid strangers. We can be nervous about not being understood in a conversation, particularly if there are cultural differences between us, or we might worry that we're not going to catch the other person's name correctly. But as church family, we need God's help to love one another in a way that is real. And we need the God of love to put his love in our hearts for one another as brothers and sisters, as family here. God's not short of love to give to us for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this authentic welcome, this authentic church love, also goes beyond the initial greeting, beyond that first interaction. There's this strange thing that can happen at church where people come in and they're really well welcomed the first week that they come. And maybe the second week other people come and, and introduce themselves, getting to know people. But then over the course of a few weeks or, or maybe a few months, those people can seem to become part of the furniture almost. They might be seen but not necessarily known, recognized but not necessarily missed if they aren't here. And as a church, that's great at that initial welcome. My guess would be that the people feeling most isolated in our church family aren't those who've just arrived, but they're probably those people who have been here for a little bit. They've been here maybe six months, 18 months, three years. And there are people in our church who've been coming for a while, but then have found when they've missed a few weeks, uh, on a, not coming on a Sunday because of an illness, then no one's actually got in touch with them. No one's checked them, checked up to see if they're doing okay. And when things like that happen, the church has fallen short of this command to love one another with brotherly affection, to show church love to one another. It's not any one person's fault, but it's still not okay. Loneliness is really rife in our society, isn't it? But the church should be a place where no one experiences that loneliness. This is one of the reasons why it's imperative that our welcome of one another goes beyond Sundays and other organized church activities. Because it's, it's great to chat to people on a Sunday, isn't it? Over coffee, maybe before the meeting, maybe after the meeting. 
And it's wonderful to be part of a home group. If you're not, I really recommend you to get involved in one. It's a place where you can, can get to know people. But my experience is that the deeper bonds of friendship happen outside of those times. They're built outside of organized church activities in the rest of life. So let's think about making space in our diaries to allow our welcome of others to become a whole life habit. This authentic church love is also about matching our actions to our words. So the flavor of this word that we have for genuine, the Greek word, has this sense of not being hypocritical. So if we tell other people that they're welcome in our lives, but we never invite them into our conversations, or we never invite them into our friendship groups, or we never invite them over, then perhaps we're missing the mark. If we tell other people that they're loved, but then do things that are unkind or uncaring, or just even thoughtless, then we're in danger of being hypocritical. You know, it says in 1 John and chapter 3 that we shouldn't love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And it is so easy to fail to back up our words with the actual deeds. But it's so important that we remember that we don't just have a throwaway line on a Sunday, oh, welcome, I'd love to have you over, and never actually back up those words with an actual invitation. In the culture we live in, words are cheap, aren't they? But that true welcome is hard and it's costly, but it is so important. So church love is authentic, and it is also active. We've got that funny phrase in verse 11. I don't know if you, if you saw it. It says, do not be slothful in zeal. What does that mean? <laughs> I don't speak like that day to day. I don't know about you. Do not be slothful in zeal. Well, it's a little bit like the phrase, don't be backwards about coming forwards. That use of opposites gives it a double emphasis, actually. Another way of translating it could be something along the lines of don't delay about being speedy or don't be lazy about being active. So this emphasis on being active is shown through the rest of the passage. It's full of verbs, things that Paul is telling these Roman Christians to do, actually do as part of their being church family together. And I think you'll agree that family functions best when all the siblings participate I don't know if you can think of examples of that from your own family. Uh, certainly for me, I love it when we have a family board game and everyone is involved. It's more fun when everyone participates. And we are all called to welcome one another. It's easy to fall into a mindset where we just we sit back and we just wait to be welcomed by the church, whoever that is. But the truth from this passage is that none of us are exempt from the call to live out church love to one another. And this isn't just a fuzzy feeling that we have towards one another on a Sunday or our home group, but it's the fervent fulfillment of the command to welcome one another. Church love isn't a feeling, but it's actually doing practical things to welcome one another. Well, there's so much happening across the church as people live this out in their own lives in different ways, probably most of which I don't even know anything about. But 
we see a few things from this passage that can help us with this, how we can put into practice this active church love. So firstly, let's serve. It says in verse 11, serve the Lord. And one of the easiest and I think most fun ways of doing this is by being on a rotor here at Grace Church to help our Sundays to run smoothly. If you're not already on a serving team, why not get involved by maybe showing church love to children and their parents by being on one of our kids' team? There's a need there at the moment for more people to help. Or you could join our sound team so that everyone can hear what's happening, everyone can hear the sermon, and people who miss the Sunday can catch up on the sermon recording. You'll be showing church love to those who you don't even... Uh, who you haven't even met. And there are a multitude of ways to serve the Lord and bless one another outside of the Sunday context as well. And I love hearing stories about this. And I also love being on the receiving end of when other people are serving the Lord and blessing us. When Sarah and I moved house last year, Martin Cheeseman, who you may know, uh, came over to, to look around with us when we just got the key because he's got experience from his career of buildings. And he was able to direct us, give us uh, good tips about how we could decorate and improve. He was able to reassure us that the crack in the wall was okay, that the house wasn't going to fall down. It was a real practical blessing to us as we had made that move. I've also seen people using their big cars to help people move furniture. Super practical, but they're really wonderful. So let's be creative in doing acts of service to one another. Uh, why not start by asking God what he might have you do and then respond as, as different things come up in your lives, in your friendships at church. So let's serve. And secondly, let's pray. Be constant in prayer, Paul tells the Roman Christians. Well, there are lots of organized church activities here that you could get involved in. Uh, we have a men's prayer that meets here on Tuesday mornings. We'll be starting again in September. Women's prayer hubs are kicking off too in September. Uh, there's a prayer for the nations that happens on Monday nights once a month. Really wonderful opportunity there. And then we have these regular weeks of prayer and fasting once a term. And I've personally found it so helpful to be involved in those contexts, to spend time praying with brothers and sisters, and found that my faith has grown as I've taken part in some of those activities. But just like we're serving, our prayer should go outside of organized activities. When we pray for one another, we find that our hearts are knit together. And we grow in church love as we step out and pray for one another. A couple of practical thoughts of how you could be doing this. If you pray for someone on a Sunday, maybe during a ministry time or just part of being here, why not set a reminder on your phone to pray for them at some point later on in that week? Or you could think about praying for your home group. Pray for one person a day, and then when you've prayed for everyone, just go back and start again. This will really help us. God will knit our hearts together as we dedicate ourselves, as we're constant in prayer, praying for one another and praying for the life of the church. So thirdly then, let's give. Verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And don't get thrown off by that word saints there. It doesn't mean anyone particularly special or holy. No, it's the way that word is used in the Bible refers to the believers, refers to us refers to family. So, contribute to the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
That could be through time or through giving stuff or giving money. Before we were married, Sarah received an anonymous envelope of cash through the door at a point when she was really financially strapped. And that was such a blessing to her, such a demonstration of what church love should be about, of contributing to the needs of a saint in Christ. And it, uh, there are so many ways that we can also be seeking to show hospitality, as this verse says as well. That sense of that word is about pursuing it. It's not just hope that it happens. Uh, and it's also not just have the people who you already know round to your house. But let's be inviting others round for meals, cooking for people, getting to know other people um, during the week. It's such a powerful force in building community. There's so much more I could say, but Rick is going to be speaking on this next week, so make sure you catch that then. Okay. So church love is authentic, it's active, and thirdly, it is harmonious. If you like alliterative sermon points, you might like to think of this as harmonious. (laughs) Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. I'm actually a musician, so I'm really captured by that word, harmony. It's full of resonances for me. And Sarah and I love going to see live music when we can. Um, This passage reminded me of a symphony orchestra. I don't know if you've ever been up to the concert hall, seen one of these concerts where you have an orchestra, maybe upwards of 100 people, men, women, young, old, coming together to play this amazing music, creating such a rich sound together. And there's this thing that happens when all the string players are playing together in unison. So that's the the violinists, the viola players, the cellists. And you can watch them and see as this organism, uh, these different people coming together become one organism as they're bowing their instruments in complete synchronicity with one another. It's It's such a powerful image of this group of people becoming one body in making this perfect, amazing sounding music. And this is a helpful image for us as we think about church love. See, we're meant to be in tune with one another. It says that if a brother is grieving, it's fitting that we mourn. If a sister in Christ is rejoicing, then we should celebrate with her. And when we don't do this well, church, love, church life feels flat at best and even hurtful at worst, as you may have experienced yourself. But rather... Church should be a place to express the ups and downs of life. Think of that orchestra image, everyone becoming in tune with one another, in sync with one another. And life is rough sometimes. So if you've got a friend who you know is struggling, then be that person who they can call. Be that person who they can cry on. Be the person who actually shares with them in their sufferings, not aloof from what is going on in each other's lives. And on the other side, if someone in your home group is celebrating because they've graduated or they've got citizenship or they've just got a job that they love, then why not throw a party for them? Let's celebrate with each other when God is giving us good things in our life. It's such a wonderful way to demonstrate church love, to live this out. And Paul also instructs the Roman Christians not to be haughty, not to be proud. And I think this point calls for some self-examination. Do we tend to steer away 
from speaking to those who are less well-dressed than us when we see them on a Sunday? Do we tend to forget the names of people who don't share the same ethnic background as us? Do we find ourselves speaking only with the people who are in the same life stage with us on a Sunday? If so, we may have a pride problem. But thankfully, I think this is an easy fix in many ways. And it could even start this morning. Why not go and greet the brother or sister in Christ who you know you recognize but have never actually had a conversation with? The way that I would do this would be to, to go up to someone who I recognize to say, hi, I'm Roger. I don't think we've properly met before. What's your name? Start a conversation. That's my way of doing things, but it's, it's got to be natural, hasn't it? It's got to be genuine and authentic, as we were looking at before. So find what works for you. But let's be greeting one another uh, as we're instructed to do elsewhere in the Bible. And it's a bit like a family reunion here on a Sunday, like I was saying before. We may all feel like unknown second cousins to one another, but we have this common bond in God our Father, Christ our brother. That's enough of a reason to go up to someone and greet them, to start a conversation with them. We shouldn't be strangers to one another. We should be family together. And there's such a blessing, I find, in knowing people from a diverse community, knowing people who've got a different experience of life to what I have, who might see things differently. We've got to make the most of that fact, lean into the fact that here we have young, old, black, white, people from different backgrounds coming together. We've got to make the most of being family in Christ together. So, we've seen that this church love looks authentic, active, harmonious. And maybe you feel excited by this and you can't wait to get started, but maybe you feel a little bit overwhelmed. Actually, these instructions are challenging. This, this is hard. Well, thank God that we have a big brother to show us, show us how it's done. What does church love look like? It looks like Jesus. See, Jesus perfectly fulfilled everything that we're instructed in this passage. When he lived on earth, he loved everyone genuinely. He's so authentic in his interactions with others. He hated what was evil and clung fast to what was good to the extent that he lived a life without sin or error. He was unparalleled in showing honor to those who he met, to the woman caught in adultery or to the tax collector, honor to the woman who birthed him and to his friend who denied him at his trial. He was never lazy about being active, but through his life on earth, he taught, he healed, helped others. He served the Lord, not seeking his own will, but saying, your will be done, Father. He was patient in his time of tribulation in the wilderness, not seeking a quick way out of that situation. And he was constant in prayer, even Jesus, God in a human body, praying to his heavenly Father. He was in harmony with his friends. When Mary and Martha were weeping because their brother Lazarus had died, he was there. Jesus wept. He mourned with them, in sync with them, not aloof from their sufferings. And he humbled himself, coming in the form of a man, 
so that he could relate to us lowly, messed up human beings and making a way for us to be raised up into relationship with our Heavenly Father. What a saviour we have. What a big brother we have. If you don't know Jesus, but you would like to accept his invitation into the family of God, then I'd love to speak with you this morning. Come and find me afterwards or find someone else you've seen on the stage. I'd love to chat to you about that. Jesus gives us the perfect example of this authentic, active, harmonious church love. In fact, just a few paragraphs on from our passage in Romans, it says this, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Jesus has extended a radical welcome to us, so let us imitate him in extending a radical welcome to one another, to our family here. When we do this, it brings glory to God. How amazing. And he's so delighted with us as we make practical steps to live this out. He delights over us as we speak to someone who we don't yet know on a Sunday. He delights with, over us as we serve, as we give, as we pray. See, these are hard instructions. But he equips us with his Holy Spirit. He gives us the power and the perseverance to keep going when it's hard. And he gives us his love towards one another as our family. I'd love to finish this morning by praying over us the prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Rome. We see it there in, in verse in chapter 15. Would you stand with me? I'd love to pray this over us. In Romans 15, uh, verses 5 and 6, it says this. Pray this with me. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.